0: let's begin. You know, as we journey through Hebrews, um, Pastor Nathan has done a great job of capturing the message of the sufficiency of Jesus in our lives that I think the writer of Hebrews was was trying to get across. It started with establishing who Jesus Christ was. If you remember that far back, the writer of Hebrews, he knew their audience. And of all of the greats throughout Jewish history, it was Moses who under... Who under God established Jewish law? He delivered the nation from Egyptian slavery, and he led the people to the edge of the promised land. And yet, Jesus, this man who had, who many had seen in flesh just years before, and he was even crucified in their own lifetimes, the writer says he's even greater. This Jesus, he's greater than even Moses. We went on to learn who he is. That. He is not only alive today, but as our high priest, he has established a new covenant and that we have been called to be in relationship with him. And so how does this change us? Well, we learned who we are, children of God, and then how we should respond. That we should no longer be content to simply remain spiritual infants, but be prompted to take a step of faith and go deeper in our relationship with him. Now, if you're visiting today or you feel like you've just tuned into a Netflix series and you missed a few episodes, it's okay. You can jump online and you can watch all of these things and learn and catch up. And so this series within a series, we're coming to Hebrews 11 now. And the writer uses examples of well-known Jewish heroes who had demonstrated faithfulness to rally and encourage those listening to respond in kind. So each of the names mentioned in Hebrews 11 would mean a great deal to those who are listening. Heroes of Israel. And so we're going to look at how these men and women demonstrated faith in action and then what we can learn from their example. And today, we're going to look at Jacob, whose name was later changed by God to Israel. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, it reads, It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, Blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Before we get into the word, let's just pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, you have a message and you have a lesson that we can learn in every passage of scripture. God, in every example that has gone before, Father, there is something that we can learn. Lord, we thank you for the greats that have gone before us, Lord, that are in Scripture. God, the greats who have lived even in our lifetime, Lord, that we can learn from. Father, we thank you for their faithfulness to you. And Lord, we thank you for how you demonstrated and showed us your faithfulness to them. God, help us to learn this morning. Open our our eyes, open our hearts, and help us to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, let's dive in and learn a little bit more about Jacob. This man of really great esteem throughout history and in their culture, but very polarizing figure. When I mentioned to a friend um, I caught up with last week and who I was speaking with, he goes, I loved his response when I said Jacob. He goes, oh, that Jacob, he was a bit of a weasel. And, uh, and after reasoning, a weasel being, you know, he's pretty crafty. And after reading through Jacob's life, you know, he's, he's quite right. You know, as quick as I can, here's a quick history lesson. Because it helps to better learn from Jacob when we can understand the man a little better. See, Jacob was born a twin um, with Esau and was trouble literally from the start in the mother's womb. And in Genesis chapter 25 verse 22 we read, But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. And so she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. And I'm sure there are many pregnant women who have asked that same question. (laughs) You know, a little later, Jacob convinced Esau into selling him his rights as the firstborn son. And while his father Isaac was on his deathbed, he pretended to even be his older brother Esau and deceived him into passing on the blessing of the firstborn onto himself instead of Esau. Yeah, and Esau comes to realize the swindle, and you know, Jacob flees the scene when he catches wind that Esau is out to kill him, and he spends a long time away from home, and even starts a family and begins his life and becomes a wealthy shepherd. Yeah, that's a thing. You can become a wealthy shepherd. Now, after decades of being away, Jacob longs to return home, and so he sets off, and as he nears home, he learns that his estranged brother Esau is approaching with 400 men. And now, if Esau has good intentions, I'm sure he probably doesn't need 400 men to achieve him. And so I'm thinking that Esau probably hasn't forgotten You know what Jacob had done to him, and he's out to get him. And Jacob knows it. In um, In distress, Jacob gets alone with God for a night of prayer. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis, and it's in chapter 32, verses 24 to 29. So this left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Well, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and men and have won. Well, please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And then he blessed Jacob there. Has anyone ever read this passage and just been confused about it? Well, I was. Um, you know, some say the man was God, some say an angel, and some say Jesus Christ, but there is nowhere else in the Bible of an encounter like this. But reading of um, Jacob's life before this moment and then after this moment, there is a significant change in the man. Beforehand, his story is characterized by anxiety and fear manipulation and deceit. And he was a ruthless guy and he had some issues. And then afterwards, he's changed. There's a calmness in his demeanor. There's maturity in his story. And so I want to look at what happened here, what happened in the wrestle, and particularly what we can learn about faithfulness. And so my first point this morning comes from the start there, verse 24, where it said, This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. See, when we're in the midst of conflict or a situation that causes us great anxiety, being alone with God is a great place to start. Because that's where you're going to hear from him, and that's how we can show faithfulness to him. Because in our strife, we know that he can make the difference. Yeah, this point is almost so obvious. But if you need to hear from God, or if you're anxious about anything, if you are losing sleep, get rid of the distractions and get in a position to focus and spend the night in prayer. So get alone with God, and you know we see this best demonstrated by Jesus throughout the Gospels, all four of them, in fact, in um, Matthew. He says that and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. In Luke, it says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. In Mark, he said, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And then back in Luke, he said, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. I'm going to get a little vulnerable and I'm going to let you in a little secret actually it's not really a secret for those um, that know me, um, but we're all family here and I realize that every time I share and speak on stage, I feel like I'm just sort of letting out a lot of my secrets and so you know man I love you guys just look just care for me I'm generally a spontaneous person if i I tend to live in the moment and if I think of a a great idea, generally in the past I've been known to be low on planning and just high on action. And you know, some of the young adults are going, yeah, preach man. But everyone else in the auditorium is going, oh man, that poor, that man's poor wife. And you know, <laughs> you know she's laughing because she knows. And now from, now, Julie, my wife, early on in our relationship, yeah, this particular trait was, was endearing and, um, you know, one year, the day before Valentine's Day, a friend of mine told me that there were cheap flights going down to Sydney. And so I'm like, oh, that's a great idea for Valentine's Day. And so for $90, you know, Julie and I were able to get down there and back and spend the day there. And it was awesome. She'd never been on a plane before. And, um, and I was there to experience, experience that um, with her. And then, um, you know, I remember another time we were heading to the coast. And as we're driving past the Glasshouse Mountains turn off. Now, we see the sign for Australia Zoo, and I'd never been to Australia Zoo, and she'd never been to Australia Zoo, and we were keen to see Steve Irwin or whatever. So quick, hoik it off the, off the, um, the freeway, and we went, and man, it was great. Man, we saw we saw some really cool stuff, and once again, it was a first that we were able to experience together. But over the course of 18 years together, if I continuously sort of lived in this spontaneous and unplanned approach, it would wear really, really thin. Because, well, how many of us know that relationships require a lot of work? And um, compromise and dedication probably Julie knows. But if I remained in that youthful state of last-minute planning, I'm going to miss out on a lot, on a lot of the quality time. You know, those friends I want to catch up with, you know, they're not available at the last minute and I'll miss out. Or those cheap plane tickets, they're all sold out at the last minute and i miss out. You know, I'm fortunate that I'm married to, to Jules and she's really good with the details. She knows that you will rarely do what you leave to spontaneity. If you plan for it, though, it'll happen. And my point is, yes, let's spend time with God and get alone with God. But you've got to plan for it. Very practically, Find a block of hours, find a weekend, find a day in advance in the not-too-distant future, put it in your diary and block it out and actually do it. Plan time to get alone with God. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 25. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What a persistent guy this Jacob is, right? Some interesting points in this verse. But if we're going to learn about what we can learn from the man about faithfulness, well, there's a gem in here. We heard that 400 men and his brother, with who he knows wants to kill him, are approaching. And what does Jacob do? He books an appointment at the Hills Family Support Service because he needs some family counselling. You know what? If only that was available in the Old Testament times. We'd be reading about healthy conflict resolution, but no. He does something better, actually. He goes to God. He seeks the Lord and he doesn't stop holding on to him until he gets his answer. Jacob understood the supreme power and authority of the man that he was wrestling. And what better, faithful, what better way sorry, to show faithfulness to that man than to turn to him in your time of need and know that what he has to say is 100% going to benefit, but that he actually will speak into your situation. And I think that's a lot of faith shown there by Jacob. So my second point is this. Persist with him for all your needs. Yeah, as we continue to read from verse 27, so he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and had prevailed. But then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Yeah, Some will be aware of Jacob's story, and I shared a little bit of, about it earlier. But in ancient Jewish culture, the rights of the firstborn were quite significant. Their inheritance was a double portion of the father's estate, and also given the blessing of head of the family. Esau traded that to Jacob for a mere meal. And then on his father's deathbed, Jacob the deceiver fools his blind father into believing he is Esau and then is given that blessing from Isaac. You know, from this moment, Esau is out to get him and he flees. And for decades, for decades, Jacob is away from home. And even him, with the blessing of the father, his inheritance waiting for him. Where has the blessing of the man got him so far? Yeah, he's managed to trick his father-in-law into his wealthy situation as he's living abroad, and he now has many descendants. But in this moment, in this moment of desperation, a small army is heading his way. He's likely to die, and that blessing of the man counts for nothing. And so he comes to God. And he holds on to him. No, Lord, I will not let you go, unless you bless me. He realizes that it's the Father's blessing that he needs, and not man. That's the one that's going to count for him. So let's look at the Father's response here. Here's Jacob. His brother is marching towards him. He's got 400 men with him, and if I'm Jacob, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that God's going to give me assurance. I'm hoping that he's going to tell me, you know, everything's going to be all right. You're going to live to see the day after tomorrow. I'm looking for God to change my circumstance, to deliver me from my brother's hand and allow me to come out of the wilderness and finally return home. But what is God's response? Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, he says. God gives him a new name. No longer will he be Jacob the deceiver, but he's given him a new name Israel, Prince of God, he who wrestles with God, a new identity. God spoke into Jacob's heart before he spoke the blessing to make him a multitude of nations. Jacob's first blessing as a young man was all about receiving the rights as the firstborn and the inheritance of the father. Jacob's Second blessing changed his life. Yeah, you know, we might go to God seeking him to change our environment, our circumstance, our, our health situation every time around us, and sometimes the Lord will. But the blessing of God is often a personal one. He's deeply interested in who we are above what we have. You know, I was thinking about Matthew 9, and as I was actually writing this sermon, I was watching The Chosen, and this um, season two of The Chosen, I love that show. But there's this episode where it follows the man from Matthew chapter 9, and this man who was born um, with an inability to walk. And I'm moved to tears as I'm watching this story, because this boy grows up, and, he, and you see him go through the stages as a young man, as he watches his friends play in the street and he's playing, you know, they're playing sport. He's unable to join in. And then as a man, as he sees, you know, the people who he grew up with leave the city and they go to work and he remains. And then later on in life, um, as a man, and he just sits beside the pool of healing, you know, just waiting for an opportunity to be healed. And he, he is at his wits end. And... Um, and it's in that darkest time that, you know, that Jesus arrives and you think, man, he's going to come and he's going to heal this man of his, of, his, of his sickness. But what does Jesus do? He heals him of his sins you know, before he restores him of his ability to walk. He's interested in our heart before he is our circumstance. You know, what do we learn about faithfulness in all of this? You know I mentioned at the start that Jacob is a polarizing figure. The Jacob we read about before the pivotal moment, you know the wrestle. To the Israel we read about after. He's the same person, remember? He's a different person. Instead of the crafty, fearful man he was, we read immediately that he negotiates peace with his brother. And then he ensures that those in his care are not worshipping any other gods than the one true God when Jacob got alone with God he persisted with him he was transformed personally but he wasn't answered in the way perhaps that Jacob, that Jacob had initially hoped for but he was content with the answer and the last lesson I want to take from Jacob this morning comes from his life AW after wrestle <laughs> um, Respond. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that to get a laugh but there you go <laughs> respond to his direction that's point three here's what i loved about jacob's response as the day broke and the wrestling match was over he actually moved on he got on with the problem that was heading his way before the wrestle he was sending all sorts of gifts to esau to try and placate him and um and ensure you know to try and mend the rift, in the hope that when he came face to face that jacob might be spared but After the wrestle, Jacob actually went on ahead of his family to face Esau himself. He humbly approached his brother and bowed and he made peace. And actually his life from that moment forward is just steeped in godly character and amazing fruit. The verse in Hebrews 11 we read earlier highlights his final days as the demonstration of his faithfulness to highlight. And that's interesting. He doesn't highlight, the writer of Hebrews doesn't use the wrestling match. He says in, in uh, Hebrews 11.21, we read earlier, it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. You know, at initial in the initial reading, I wasn't quite sure what how that demonstrated faithfulness. And so I I went back to read Genesis 48, that moment. Here here we go. It's a little bit of a longer reading, and I'm sorry. Um, Here we go. From verse 5, Genesis 48. Now I am claiming as my own sons these two boys. And this is Aziz blessing um, Joseph. I'm claiming as my own sons these two boys of yours, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born here in the land of Egypt before I arrived. They will be my sons just as Reuben and Simeon are, and Reuben and Simeon are his own um, birth sons. Biological sons. But any children born to you, this is to Joseph, in the future will be your own and they will inherit land within the territories of their brothers Ephraim and Manasseh. And so Joseph moved the boys who were at, and this is verse 12, Joseph moved the boys who were at their grandfather's knees and he bowed with his face to the ground and then he positioned the boys in front of Jacob. With his right hand, he directed Ephraim towards Jacob's left hand. And with his left hand, he put Manasseh at Jacob's right hand. But Jacob crossed his arms as he reached out to lay his hands on the boys. He put his right hand on the head of Ephraim, though he was the younger boy, and his left, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh though he was the firstborn, and then he blessed him. But Joseph was upset when he saw that his father placed his right hand on Ephraim's head. He'd probably heard the stories of of Jacob earlier on with Esau, and he's like, oh, no, not this again. But um, (laughs) He said, no, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. I know, my son, I know, he replied. Manasseh will also become a great people, but his younger brother, He'll become even greater, and his descendants will become a multitude of nations. And Jacob was right. We read later on that Ephraim became a great, great nation. You know, Genesis alludes that this was the first time that Jacob had met his grandsons, and yet it still unfolds this way. There's no, there's no FaceTime or anything like that. You know, he's never met these boys. But what caused Jacob to switch? Hands. He doesn't know these lads, and I think the only way to explain Jacob's action to cross hands is by the guidance of the Holy Spirit in that moment. So Jacob re- resists Joseph when he attempts to change um, those hands back over, and then he blesses the boys, and they become two of the 12 tribes of Israel. So he finishes and he has a word for Joseph at the end. He says, Joseph, in the 21st verse, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I am going, but God is going to be with you. And I think this is why it was such a great act of faith. See, Jacob recognized that his blessing is not as great... As the presence of God. And just as Jacob's father's blessing that he received from Isaac was not as great as the one that he received from God during the wrestle. That's the one that changed his life. It was God who had fed him all of his life while he was away. It was God who redeemed him. And the one that he worships that we read in Hebrews chapter 11 as he stands by his bedside leaning on his staff. God persevered with the deceiver, and he makes him truly Israel, the prince. This Hebrews Heroes series is really interesting because I think we're discovering yeah, that as we learn you know, of, the, of the faithfulness shown by these men and women of God, that the more we learn about them, the more we're learning about the great faithfulness that God showed them. You know, as much as there are lessons to digest and, and we can learn about how our faith can increase by learning from these men and women, it is his great faithfulness to us, which is the ultimate demonstration. Yeah, you know, first Corinthians chapter one, verses eight and nine, and I love this verse, it has to be one of my favorites. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this. For he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you to partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as he did with Jacob, Christ perseveres with us too. And our blessing is our identity as his adopted sons and daughters. By his grace, we got it with a choice. And we didn't have to fight for it. Though Jesus Christ, he died for it. But how do we let that change us? Well, let's learn from Jacob. No longer do we deceive and strive for our own gain but seek peace, live humbly and follow his direction and bow in worship to him as should be our response. Let's pray. Father, I want to I want to thank you so much for this demonstration of faithfulness, for, uh, for this man, Jacob. Yeah, the, the start of his life was makes an interesting read. Uh, but God, a man who struggled with his identity. Maybe he felt he was a pretender. But God, you... You legitimized him. Father, you adopted him as your son. And God, it was that that changed his life. And Father, you offer that to us too. God, a eternal inheritance. A life in partnership with Jesus Christ and God, a life where you will remain faithful to us. God, no matter the storm, no matter the season, and so, Lord, we bow. We humbly bear. Because I identify a little bit with that. God, sometimes... Sometimes feeling like I'm, you know, pretending. Sometimes I'm feeling like I'm faking it. And um, God, but I know You're there. God, I know that You, You promised to be, and God, I know that I feel You there. And Lord, thank You. I don't deserve it, Lord, but I worship You and thank You for it. God, continue to change our lives throughout this this series. Lord, continue to teach us new things. Open our hearts. Open our eyes. Lord, and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.